Thank you very much. Hello and welcome uh, to this Financial Advisor IQ webcast. Uh, my name is Nick Reeve. I'm a financial journalist with Frutic Media and I'm your host for today's session. Now, for White House advisors, the promise of improved flexibility and ownership has long been a draw towards going independent. And it's important to note that these benefits can extend to your client base as well. Uh, so our trio of panellists are going to talk us through some of those benefits and how a move to independence can help financial advisors offer more value to their clients. Uh, so I'll introduce those panellists. Uh, first up is Jeff Bojack, uh, Managing Partner and Wealth Advisor at Northeast Investment Group. Uh, Jeff is a founding partner of Northeast, having previously worked with UBS and Stanley. Uh, we've also got Keith Brandt. Uh, Keith is president and founder of California Wealth Transitions, which he set up with his wife, Nikki, in 2012, having previously worked with Merrill Lynch. And finally, we've got Scott Wilson, who is Senior Managing Director and Chief Operations Officer at Kestra Private Wealth Services. Can you summarise briefly uh, the number one benefit that your clients have experienced uh, from you uh, going into it? Well, I think one of the big issues for our clients, at least, was the issue of costs. And so, you know, at the wirehouse, there's a, there's a little bit of flexibility in terms of what your client costs, uh, what, what your clients pay for your services. But for the most part, the firm sets the, the program, they set the fee schedule, and then you have some limited ability to discount that. Uh, when you're independent, it's kind of interesting because you can set your fees at whatever you want. Now, the difference is if you drop the fees, that drops your compensation. But if you're keeping 60 or 70 or 80% of your revenue, that gives you a lot more room to reduce your compensation versus at the warehouse, you're getting you know, maybe 40% of your compensation. So you're a little more reluctant to reduce costs for your clients. So for our clients, we pretty much told all of them that at the new firm, your costs will be the same or lower than they were at the warehouse. And it, and it's really nice to have that be pretty much up to you decide to decide how to do it. Okay. And uh, Jeff, uh, what, what would you say was kind of the number one uh, benefit for your clients? <clears throat> sure. Um, I appreciate the question. So for us, it was to be able to tell our clients that we are truly their fiduciary. Um, you know, coming out of the warehouses back during uh, the battle of, of, you know, the fiduciary rule and, and whether that was going to be expanded upon um, wirehouse employees. I would tell you that most wirehouse um, advisors thought they were fiduciaries, believe they were fiduciaries, but, but uh, you know, clearly we were not. So uh, for us um, and for our clients, uh, you know, the move to independence was to be able to position ourselves truly as their fiduciary in, in all senses. And uh, it comes up in, in, just about every conversation we have with a new relationship, never mind you know a current client of ours as uh, we transitioned out of the wirehouse. Thank you. I'm going to turn to Scott now. Um, Scott, what was your views on that? Is, is that typical of uh, the, the the advisors that you work with? Those kind of benefits. Absolutely, Nick. I think both those comments from from Keith and Jeff are are top of the list. Um, certainly, choice. It, it's really the theme of choice. I think that. Advisors, when they leave a more proprietary sort of uh, environment and go independent, they enjoy the freedom uh, of choice. And, and that's on a number of fronts that we can dig into later. But being a fiduciary, having freedom of, of pricing your clientele and your client base the way that you think it's appropriate, if it's technology, your platform, pricing, whatever it may be, uh, that's the biggest uh, thing that we see across the board with our advisors when they leave a warehouse. 
Okay, well, let's delve into that uh, fiduciary uh, point that, uh, that that you raised, Jeff. What is it about that that, that clients find so appealing, and you know, how was that? Um, you know, can you describe the transition from the White House to uh, independence in, in in the context of uh, fiduciary uh, status? Sure, I, I think clients just they want to know you're 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 serving their best interest. That uh, you know, both not just verbally but legally. That you're looking out for them, uh, whether it's with the investments you're recommending, the financial plan you're reviewing, the the strategies, the fees, whatever it may be, that you're putting their best interest first and foremost ahead of that of a you know uh, a major Wall Street firm that uh, you know carries uh, certain other priorities. Perhaps um, you know our firms are are owned by us; uh, they're not owned by some uh, you know major enterprise, some you know uh, you know major firm in New York City or abroad. So for us, once again, it, it was to be able to position ourselves as being truly independent, being your true fiduciary. You know, you know, we we're not naive. If 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 any of our clients watch CNBC, there's a commercial running every uh, few minutes talking about a major firm that serves as a fiduciary and how that is important. Our clients aren't naive to that. They realize that. They see that. They want that. So for us to be able to present ourselves and be able to tell our clients that we serve as their fiduciary, that once again we're legally bound to always look out for their best interests ahead of ours or the firm, our firm is hugely powerful um, and gives our clients the peace of mind that they should all expect um, when working with a uh, financial advisor. Jim? Yeah, I, I would I would add that I think that because of the press, a lot of people know about the fiduciary issue now. So so prospective clients, they'll, they'll ask us, are you a fiduciary? And, and when we were at Merrill, we would explain to say, well, no, technically we're not a fiduciary, but we act as one in these in the, in this way. So you're always sort of explaining around it. And when you're independent, you don't have to say, technically, we're not a fiduciary. You can just say, yes, we are. I agree 100%. You're spot on, Keith. Scott, what, do you have any views uh, on that? What, um, what was your uh, kind of take on that? I think, you know, what Keith and Jeff mentioned are, are, are spot on. I think we don't beat around the bush from, you know, at, at our firm. We hit it straight on from day one that, we expect our advisors to act uh, in a fiduciary capacity, and we manage the business along those lines. All the decisions that we make from a, a platform and, and really what's in the best interest of the client, that's what drives all the decisions when it comes to making the platform and, and products and services available for our, the advisor. And it's all about the client. Not that it isn't in a warehouse. They, they certainly are focused on the client. We don't want to give you that impression, but I think from a legal and from a, a position of setting up how we manage the business, we attack it from that angle first. The, the clients comes first and, and the advisors are acting in, in, in the best interest of the client. So as Keith said, there's no beating around the bush on that. We don't have to skirt that issue. We hit it straight on. And, and I think once advisors get out into that environment, it's a relief. It, it, it takes that off the table and they don't have to worry that they're saying the wrong thing to the client. So, it, you know, it's been a real positive. Yeah, it ultimately it becomes a position of strength rather than a position of weakness. And uh, and once again, prospects know it, clients know it. It's, it's not something that is unknown, the concept of being a fiduciary or not being a, fiduci a fiduciary. I, I don't think us as advisors can kid ourselves of how important that is to them. 
Great, thanks very much. Well, we've got a couple of questions already coming. Oh, sorry, carry on. Yeah. No, I was just going to say the larger the client, um, the higher the net worth, the, you know, there are a number of corporate uh, clients that really expect that. And so it, it has been um, a very good thing, specifically in the high net worth space. From that perspective, we don't have to skirt that issue. And certainly it's been a positive. Now, uh, Scott, in your opening remarks, you um, mentioned the importance of choice as kind of the broad theme, and I think that's going to be a broad theme of our, our discussion. Um, we've had a question in asking to expand a little bit more on the choices uh, available to you as uh, an independent financial advisor. Who wants to kind of jump in on that? Can maybe an, an example or two of, um, you know, how that uh, you know, expanded choice uh, can, can help your clients? You know, I might make a couple comments and then Jeff and, and Keith, you can talk specifically, but I think in a broader, um, you know, the, the areas, certainly technology and software, there is significant difference of choice. We, you know, and most advisors are able to go best of breed and really outside a set platform where they don't have choice. That That's a biggie. It, it can be, you know, a number of things on the platform, if it's performance reporting, the CRM that they use, the quotes that they receive, the research that they are able to to uh, participate in. It may be unpricing. You know, you have significant choices, Keith said, on on how you price your clients because you you know your cost of goods sold and you run a business and you appropriately price that business for your client base and you're not subject to uh, minimums. So I, I think those are the the overarching categories and maybe Jeff and and Keith can, can delve in from their perspective. I, I would add, it, it's it's such a different world, right? In addition to products and, and and services, you've got choices on your employees, right? You don't you don't have the warehouse saying here's your here's your support staff, and maybe you're sharing them with other people, maybe you're not, but it's totally up to you. So you can decide who you want to have work for you and who you don't want to have work for you. So that's that's a very freedom thing, whether it means uh, support or even other advisors you want to work with. Uh, so that's that's a big amount of flexibility. And, and then, you know, back, back to the the um, pricing thing, that, that it's all up to you. So that it's just nobody's telling you what to do. For some people, they like being told what to do. But in the independent world, nobody's telling you what to do. So I, I would agree with what the guy said, you know, specifically, you know, we saw it with our CRM. We, we came from a major firm that tried to reinvent the wheel uh, when it came to the CRM. And uh, I, I can't think of one advisor that uh, that found that to be a fun experience. So something as simple as, you know, what you want to use as a contact relationship software uh, provider, who you want to use for financial planning is, is just, once again, it's entirely up to you as a business owner, as an independent advisor to decide rather than being force-fed a solution um, fr from above. And, and just to add the concept of pricing, it, it also allows us to to price things out. Uh, once again, coming from a wirehouse firm, if if you wanted to do something as simple as a securities backed line of credit, you had to use what your firm told you you had to use, which was an in-house solution. Um, at an independent firm such as Kestra, we're able to go out into the marketplace and have um, have various lenders compete for that business and ultimately provide a lower cost solution to our clients. Again, uh, always trying to do what's best for our clients. I, I think that platform of being independent allows you to really, really compete more aggressively uh, for the best interest of your people. And I would add on to what Keith said, 
There was, you know, for instance, we, there's choice on what tax entity that you want to set up for yourself. We don't, you know, you're not a W-2 employee. You're, you're able to go out and, and set up whatever tax entity you see best for your personal situation, right? We have no dog in that fight. I think that side of it is extremely attractive. And as Keith said, you can employ as many uh, support staff and partners as you want. You're not bound by the the entity that you work for. You will set up programs and hours and um, wage structures and retirement plans and benefits that are in your best interest. So I, I think there's incredible flexibility and choice, even on the you know entity and, and tax side of it as well. Nick, I would I just want to add one more thing because Scott brought up an interesting thing in in the world we're in today, right? This this post COVID world. I talked to one of my friends at the wirehouse this week and they said, yeah, officially everybody's back at work, but it's sort of up to each manager to decide whether they force everybody to do that or not. And in many cases, they're being relatively liberal, but but the policy is being set at the national level. So at our office, you know, we 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 basically went around to all of our employees and said, what do you want to do? So now we we make sure there's one person in the office every day. But other than that, you know, most of my people don't come into the office on Mondays or Fridays anymore, period. Um, mm-hmm. And and I would say in general, people are here one or two days a week and that works fine. And that's OK with us. Nobody nobody is telling us we have to do something different. I'm guessing that kind of then feeds into the technology discussion as well of being able to have that, uh, you know, flexibility in your technology stack to enable uh, remote work at a degree that perhaps wirehouses with you know, regulatory, uh, you know, um, guardrails that they've got perhaps aren't able to do as much. Is that does is that is that a fair summary? I I think certainly the independent technology lets you do that. I would say the wirehouses probably have the similar technology, although they're maybe not as anxious to, to make it work, right? So I've got a I've got a laptop at the office. I've got a laptop at my house in Montana. I've got a setup in my house in San Diego. So I've got three setups. I didn't have to get permission from Merrill Lynch to do that. And they really don't care where I am. I'm, I'm not sure at the full wirehouse that you could be quite that flexible, you know, to be working in those different places. And And they're going to be telling your support staff what they want them to do rather than you. And that's a big difference. Hmm. You know, something as simple as printing. You know, the wirehouses, when we were there, uh, yeah, sure, you can work from home uh, from your primary residence. But something as simple as, as trying to print a, uh, a statement for a client or print the document or print the proposal was, was not something that you were allowed to do at the wirehouses. So, you know, it, it, it seems like a slight difference, but something as easy as hitting a print icon was not allowed. Where, uh, you know, if you're working from home, whether it's because of COVID or you're doing some work over the weekend, getting ready for an appointment on a Monday or whatever the case may be, uh, you have full access to the entire technology stack, the entire ability to print as need be. Uh, Once again, working in the best interest for your people. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking about fees um, quite a bit through this discussion. I want to kind of focus on that for a a few minutes if we can. We're talking about uh, the flexibility it gives you. And I wonder if we could perhaps delve into this in a little bit more, some examples of how that flexibility uh, has been kind of, has played out for you and has helped uh, your clients. So one of the things that we can do is sometimes clients will come in and say, I, I really like, I got all my money at, at Vanguard or my 401k or whatever, and I'm really pretty happy with how I'm managing my money. 
but I, I need some help planning. And so we can, we, we've got a situation where we've got a number of clients where we say, fine, we'll just try doing annual planning fee. And we can, we can pick that fee, whatever we want. It could be $2,500. It could be $10,000. And so they don't actually have any accounts with us. We just charge them a fee once a year to do planning for them. Uh, we, we also do a similar kind of thing for people that are going through divorce. We'll tell a client that we'll just help you go through the divorce process. We'll charge you a flat fee for that. After your divorce is over, if you wanted to become a client, that's fine. Um, but if not, at least we're able to provide a service and that the, that the clients wouldn't have access to otherwise and still generate some revenue. At the warehouse, when I was in that situation, we might help the clients, but we couldn't charge a fee, so we didn't get paid. And, and you know, the, the clients don't value that as much, right? If, if you're giving them fee advi- free advice, they're wondering, well, what else is, is, is in it for them? So it's a little more transparent relationship, which I think the clients appreciate more. And I see, and I see a number of things, Nick, from a pricing perspective. I know that Jeff has a fairly large relationship that's held away that they advise on. And, and that is a, you know, he has the flex, he and his team have flexibility to price that relationship with the appropriate pricing that works for them. We also see a big difference in, in the industry because some of our firms do want to attack you know, maybe the millennial uh, group of, of investors, and they would like to have the freedom to charge a monthly subscription fee, as an example, because those folks may not have large assets, but they want budgeting help, and they want financial planning, or they may want term insurance and just to get going. We have the ability to, you know, allow the advisors, they run their business, and if they deem that that is an appropriate way to do business. They're not bound by minimums, household accounts. They can make a business decision. And if they want to charge them a monthly subscription fee, that's great. And we provide the technology that they can pay a monthly fee on their credit card. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are the types of things. The technology that's available today has really moved forward you know, aggressively. And in the independent space, I think the advisors have the ability to continue to step up with different partners. As long as it's approved from a cyber perspective and we make sure that the client and that information is protected, we are able to provide those services for clients that they're really not able to um, from a large warehouse, but they're not going to take the risk, I think, to provide those types of services across the board. So that was another example that we see today with with, uh, providing services, for example, with millennials. Um, That's an aggressive... Uh, part of the business that you know that we're doing a lot of business with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so my my two cents of that would would be just the concept of some of the smaller relationships that we onboard as a firm as business owners. If if we decide that that relationship is beneficial, you know, whether it's a referral, an introduction, a friend, a family member, or center of influence. Um, when when we left the wirehouses, uh, those relationships were certainly frowned upon. Were difficult to open. Uh, you need to justify the smaller households or that the firms wanted these smaller households to be held at call centers, which once again, isn't necessarily in the best interest of your client. Your client wants to work with a local advisor, but because he or she have a relatively smaller relationship right now, because they, they may be new professionals um, or they're once again, a center of influence and uh, maybe they don't have the, the larger resources of a higher net worth individual. They, they are still have the ability to work with you, receive the full service advice of a, of a local advisor, develop that relationship. 
Um, and maybe that leads to a larger relationship down the road, but ultimately you're able to serve um, the people as, as you decide to be appropriate without being forced to justify the relationship or have that relationship moved over to a call center, which, uh, once again, I would view as not, not in the best interest of, of that person um, who seeks out local professional individual advice rather than, you know, a 1-800 number, you know, based out of, uh, you know, Tennessee or, or Utah that matter. I want to ask about 401k as we've talked kind of generally about um, uh, planning but on the pension side um, I know personally from my point of view I'd love some more uh, advice on my uh, how uh, to, for, for my pension um, that's not necessarily kind of uh, accessible uh, at the moment. How have you guys been able to um, you know, bring that kind of advice uh, on board into your into your offering? So let me, I'll take a shot first. You know, one of the things that, that we find now for, for a lot of, a lot of our clients and a lot of people, right? The biggest chunk of money they have is their 401k. If you look at people ages, you know, 35 to 50, that's where all their money is. And, and that, that's in the company plan. And so, you know, at the warehouse, the, the, the better advisors might take a look at their 401k statement and give them some guidance about what to choose. The, the nice thing in our world, an awful lot of people have their 401k plan now. They've got options if they're with Fidelity or with some of the other firms where they can set up their own self-directed plan at TD Ameritrade or at Fidelity. So they literally set up an account there. Well, we can manage those accounts and we can charge a fee for doing that. And so it's it's a source of additional revenue for us. But what it's really great is for the clients, they've got all this money and they really want to have somebody help them manage it. And so it's a way that we can help clients manage their single largest asset. They're still in the company plan, but we can set up an account at Fidelity. We can tell them what things to buy and sell. We can manage it just like a regular account. And the client doesn't have to worry about that anymore. So that's a huge plus for clients to have their most most important biggest asset managed by a professional. It's supposed to sort of secondhand at the warehouse. You say, well, you know what? Sell this fund and buy that fund. Well, that's not quite as easy as letting us just take care of it. Yeah, I think it ties back into the concept of, you know, of a holistic approach, right? I, I think all advisors at all firms ideally want to become holistic financial advisors and, and provide, you know, full financial advice across all, you know, areas of assets, you know, whether they're held at our firm or held away. Be, you know, the, the format of being an independent advisor truly allows you to do it um, with with avoiding conflicts of interest, with avoiding compliance issues or regulatory issues. Once again, ultimately, again, it, it's that fiduciary responsibility of trying to do what's best for your people. Our format allows us to do that with very few strings attached, um, which, which is truly tr tremendous for the client. And I was just going to add to that, Nick. Um, you know, the beauty is with the technology today, you can aggregate data in, like what Keith said, if they have a 401k or retirement account away, most firms allow you to aggregate the data into a portal to do asset allocation. You can also aggregate that data into a performance reporting portal to show clients the performance in totality on a holistic view of all their assets. And in many cases, they want to know how is the performance of what I'm managing in my 401k maybe in comparison to what you're doing for me on my account where it's held in custody and where you're the broker of record? So the tools today allow you to aggregate it for, you know, for financial planning, for performance reporting, and you can do that for people that aren't clients, but people are willing to pay a fee 
that's reasonable, right? To, to get help with asset allocation, with financial planning, and really recommendations on the entire relationship. If it's on insurance assets, they may have variable annuities and they may have universal life and other assets that have market-related pools of assets that are being sort of ignored. I think independent financial advisors bring those tools that aggregate the data and you can x-ray all of those assets across the board, show their asset allocation on all the sleeves of all their assets, and ultimately you can show value. And I think for the client, the benefit for the client is they ultimately feel a, a much better sense and comfort with that somebody's looking over those assets and they're willing to pay you a reasonable fee, right? And the advisor can choose a fee and they can set the pricing on what they you know, deem to be appropriate for their practice. Nobody's telling them what to do. They are running a business. They're making business decisions based upon their infrastructure and their cost of doing business. And, and we love to see that happen and the freedom that that brings in the independent space. I would add one more thing, and, and I couldn't have done this at Merrill. So I have a couple of 401k plans and the money's not with me. Um, one of them is Vanguard, one's at Fidelity, and they, they wanted somebody to pl- provide employee education and look over their investment choices. And so they just came to me and I said, yeah, you know what, here's how I'm, I'm going to, I'll visit you two days, a, two days a year. I'll do a one day in-person meeting and I'm going to charge you $25,000. They're like, perfect. So it, it's kind of like you just decide what, what your time's worth and, and how much you want to charge for that service. And the firm says, yeah, that's fine. It's not a commission-based arrangement. I didn't have to get anybody to sign off on it. I just said, here's how much I want to charge. And they said, yeah, that's okay. So it's a great thing for the client because in many cases, their normal choices are to, to hire a firm who does a bunch of plans and they don't get high quality education, right? Or they get some brand new advisor that's doing employee education that doesn't know what's going on. So I'm, I'm not inexpensive, but I can charge a fee that's worthwhile for me and they can get maybe better advice than they might get otherwise. It does come back to those kind of themes that we've uh, we've been exploring of um, yeah. holistic uh, uh, flexibility and choice, but holistic approach and that fiduciary fiduciary uh, importance as well. Um, we do have a question about standing about um, some examples about telling a client why being a fiduciary is better. And I'm interested maybe to, to come back to that fiduciary uh, discussion now. Any examples that that you guys can kind of uh, bring to mind about, you know, why, how you can kind of make that case to the client about the benefits of fiduciary? You know, ultimately, again, to to me, it's a position of strength. If if you're able to tell a client you're serving as their fiduciary, which, you know, textbook definition uh, simply is, you know, their interest ahead of yours, would a client rather have served, be served by an advisor who's a fiduciary or a non-fiduciary? Someone who is legally bound to put their interests ahead of that of their firms or someone that is not legally bound to put the best interests of a client ahead of a firm's. I really think, you know, not the water or die, I really think it's that simple. If a client had a choice, A or B, a multiple choice, and, and A or B were, were the two answers, uh, work with a fiduciary, work without a fiduciary, I'm hard pressed to think why any client would choose to work um, not with a fiduciary uh, when presented that option. Clients, once again, we, we may not realize it at times, but clients realize this, they're thinking of it, they've been hearing it now for almost a decade, 
going back to the fiduciary rule um, conversation with President Obama and then President Trump. Uh, they're lambasted with the commercials on, on TV nonstop. Uh, once again, I, I think sometimes as advisors, maybe we lose sight of what clients are thinking. So if you put yourself in that client's shoe, would a client, would you, that client, rather work with a fiduciary or not? I'm once again hard pressed to think why a client would not want to work with a fiduciary. That that once again legally bound their interest ahead of that of the uh, the firms. Yeah, and I think I think that it really it really is a matter of the client's perception and and making them comfortable, right? If if I'm at Merrill Lynch, I can set up a fee based managed account on an advisory basis, right? I don't have any commission conflict. Uh, I don't have any other agenda. It's not any different than what I do as an independent. But if I'm at the wirehouse, I've got to explain that. Versus if I'm independent, I could say, yes, I'm a fiduciary, right? It, so, so I wouldn't say that it's not, it may not be that big a difference in practice, right? I can do the same thing at both places, but it's very much a different position when a new prospect comes in and, you know, they've got their list of questions and it, it quite a bit, they're, they're one of their questions, are you a fiduciary? So it's awesome to say, yes, we are. I think it's about removing conflict. I, I think most advisors at the wirehouse do view themselves as a fiduciary and really most act in the best interest you know, of the client and do a phenomenal job. I think, as Keith and Jeff said, it's just that in the independent space, there is a significant amount of effort to remove all the conflicts that exist in pricing products. Really, it's sort of, it's a, it's a gray area, but we try to remove all the conflicts so that advisors are comfortable acting in that capacity, even if they're dual registered on both sides of the equation, they really do work very hard at re removing those conflicts. And they show the client and give them the confidence that they're able to tell their clients in what capacity they're acting. Scott, uh, to come back to one of your uh, previous comments, we were talking about um, technology. And you know, as advisors go independent, you obviously want to build your own uh, technology stack. So I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about that and about um, how you know, removing some of those guardrails that, that may have been in place on the uh, Wirehouse uh, platform, how this affects the technologies at your disposal for clients. And to, to Keith and Jeff, you know, examples of perhaps of some technologies that you've used to bring in uh, new uh, capabilities. Um, so Scott, do you want to kind of start off with how that? Yeah, and I, uh, Jeff and, and Keith, I'm sure have a number of examples of different technology that they use if it's tax planning related. I think much of it, as you mentioned, there are just, you know, working at a warehouse, the reality is there are going to be guardrails to protect the firm. And it, they're, they're generally speaking larger entities with 10 to 20,000 advisors. And the reality is they, they need to put guardrails in place to protect you know, the firm from somebody getting outside those guardrails because you're talking about people that are from one month in the business up to 35, 40 years in the business, right? There's a much broader spectrum. But I would tell you there are, you know, incredible technology every day is, you know, is becoming available. Generally speaking, from performance reporting to financial planning to other aspects on, you know, tools that help analyze risk to platforms that help you execute more efficiently that, you know, data irrigation tools, right? All of the above, there are incredible tools available that you have the choice to integrate into your platform. 
research-based tools, right? That's another big item that, you know, having access to a broader spectrum of tools that help you make better investment decisions for your client. And I think this is all about the client. All these things are, if you give a better experience and, and clients have a quicker and easier way to access their their assets, clients want a portal. They want a way that they can punch an app and see their, their assets that are up to date to the minute and that they are able to communicate with their clients also in a more up-to-date and efficient manner. And I think those are the types of tools of its communication, giving good access to the clientele through a portal and using technology to benefit that. Um, but there just aren't the guardrails that you have in a bigger entity. And I think there are hundreds of examples, but generally speaking, um, it's a positive experience at the end of the day for the client, which is really what it's all about. And, and Jeff and Keith have used tools that I, I know uh, are great examples of that. I think maybe one of the relative examples is, is a software package known as Holista Plan, right? We're in tax season right now. We got a few days left for, for clients who who, um, who want some analysis done, right? True wealth managers also look at taxes and liabilities and, you know, beyond just the assets, if you will, where, where this software allows us to perform a quick review and provide a summary of a client's tax return that is in-depth and uh, uh, offers proactive measures for that client to take. Once again, something we would never have access to out of the wirehouse, something that is approved and available to us um, here in our world, or something known as, as riskalyze, right? Clients want to know what kind of risk their you know their their portfolios are under, what what kind of risk they're taking with the portfolios you're managing as well as outside assets. A software solution known as riskalyze is is something that is widely um, popular with, within the independent space and with our now clients specifically that provides them those details that once again, we never had access to um, at, uh, at our previous uh, firms. And I would just add, and Keith, you're, I mean, from a managerial perspective, many of those tools are available at the wirehouse. It's just that they have guardrails put into place that in many cases you can't use the full range of services that are available. You may still get access to a financial planning tool, a risk tool, a tax planning tool, but in many cases, they've stripped it down to really make sure that they manage the risk. And I think that's a frustration that many financial advisors have is we can use that tool. The minute they step out in the independent world, they realize that they're only getting access to about 25% of the of the tools that that firm may offer. That's just something else I would add. And, and I know that to be a fact because you know, we see it every day on that front. And Keith, I know you have a number of comments along those lines. No, I, I mean, I think you guys have covered it. The only other thing that I would add is, you know, on the, on the tax front, it's an interesting one, right? Because clients get their tax return done. Their CPA sends it back to them and says, take a look and, and let me know if you have any questions. What do our clients do? They turn to line, I don't know, 33 and say, what's my refund or how much do I owe? That's their tax review. And then they send off a check. And so nobody ever goes through their tax return with them. And even for us as advisors, we like to go through them, but it's a pretty time-intensive, tedious process. So this gives us a way to really visit with clients about their tax return, which their CPA doesn't do, their spouse doesn't do. So we can really provide some additional value by, by spending a little bit of time with them going through a report that's very easy to prepare. I think there's a lot of fear by financial advisors in the wirehouse, Keith, um, right? 
they're afraid to cross the line. They don't really know what the line is, right? And I think there's fear among many advisors, no matter how long you're in the business. And I saw it every day where the advisors, you know, many advisors do an incredible job at the wirehouse with helping clients. It's just that there's an uncertainty as to where they can draw the line with giving advice on things like tax or ERISA accounts or whatever it may be on planning or giving advice on assets held away. They want to do it. In reality, most of them are doing it. They're uncertain as to if they've actually crossed the line with what they're able to do with the firm policy that may be in place. And I think that's what I think most advisors can relate to. This is about how do we help our clients have a better experience? Advisors are extremely bright and talented, both in the independent space and at the wireless. There's no difference there. I think what happens, though, is that they're uncertain as to what they can and can't do many times. And they are afraid that they may cross that line and risk their um, entire industry and, and their career. So I would add that I, I do believe that there are some frustrations on that side with knowing what they can and can't do. Okay. Well, we have another question that's come in uh, from the audience, and uh, it's changing tack slightly um, because we are going to talk about succession planning. The question is about the benefits for an advisor that's planning to uh, exit the business in a few years uh, as an in, as an independent versus at a at a wirehouse. So, can you uh, address that point of like succession planning when you're kind of looking at exiting a business? What flexibilities to uh, you have as an independent versus uh, at a warehouse in terms of, you know, making sure the clients have that continuous uh, service. I'm the oldest guy here, so maybe I should talk about that first. <laughs> um, at, at the warehouse, they've got they've got a nice program uh, when you retire to have somebody else take over your clients and pay you X amount of money over a certain period of time. Um, that's that's the good news. Um, the bad news is your your choice of who. Those advisors might be is sometimes limited to who's in your office, and the structure of your arrangement is totally limited by the the firm situation. So, in the independent world, you know one one of the things that we're all concerned with is taking care of our clients. In many cases, we've dealt with these folks for decades, and we have a very strong opinion about who do we want to have provide services to them in the future. Um, so, that's an important part. Um, in the independent world, you get to make those own decisions. So, we actually merged with another firm about a year and a half ago. Uh, it was three advisors. They'd been in business for a long time. And we had a lot of discussions about their clients, the kind of clients they had, the kind of um, advice they received and so on. And so the other firm was able to, to decide they were very comfortable with us helping their clients. And if they didn't like us, they could have gone somewhere else. So that was part one. And then part two is they were able to negotiate a deal that, that worked for them. So you're not limited by the wirehouse arrangement. You can negotiate with anybody to essentially take over handling your clients. In our case, we ended up paying them roughly $2.5 million over time. And we had a clause that if business grew, they were going to get more money. And, and we're, we're currently paying those advisors an extra $100,000 a year on top of our agreed-on price, which, which I'm actually happy to do because it means the business has grown a lot. But you can't do those kinds of things at a warehouse. So in a sense, you have your own business. And you can sell it to whoever you want that has advantages from a sales price, from a structure standpoint, and, and in many cases, most importantly, to make sure your clients are with somebody you want to have take care of. Yeah, I, I would just use one word, flexibility. 
Um, you have the ultimate flexibility as, as a business owner, as an independent advisor, to try to structure a, a transition or a sunset um, in everyone's best interest, starting with the clients. So there's continuity. And then once again, so that you know everyone reaps the you know the financial reward um, that may come as well. You know, all that is incredibly important to advisors. You spend this, you know, a career building a career in relationships with these clients. And the biggest thing that I hear from financial advisors that are still at the wirehouse, many of them have been part of a transition package where they are buying out a financial advisor that had left the firm. And, and the frustrations, not only on the, the, the advisor that left, there are restrictions on what they can and can't do, right? You can't come into the office or you can, right? They exit the business abruptly. And, and in many cases, the restrictions on what it took to get the right person in place, in many cases, they were told, no, you can't have that person because they don't meet certain qualifications. We see people that want their children or relatives to come into the business, right? As Keith mentioned, they, you know, we, they want to structure the exit in the way that the advisor wants to. And also you add on the tax benefits, right? Based upon your tax structure and your financial advisor, your, your accountant, there are benefits from a tax structure on how those payments are taxed depending upon how you structure the deal. But it's about choice, right? It isn't an ordinary income decision that you're going to get paid a certain percentage over a period of time. People want their clientele to get taken care of, as he said, by people that they trust. And if you build an ensemble practice with the right structure of your business, you really can leave the legacy that you want to develop. And I think many firms really want to build an ensemble practice where they can have a long-term, you know, you, you may want to stay in the business until your 80s, right? But within the independent space, if you choose to do that and you have the right structure in place, you're able to uh, really lay it out the way you want. And if you want your family and your children, your friends to come into the business, you're able to put that in place. And then you can layer in other advisors that may be too small, honestly, to have a very good succession plan in place. That's the other subset. There's a massive amount of advisors that are probably too small to really have a succession plan. And those folks have no idea what's going to happen in their book when they leave. It yeah. might get thrown out to the entire office and they don't want that. So I would say if you're an advisor that maybe is under a million dollars in production to Wirehouse, you may not have much control over where your assets go when you retire. And that's another, your client, it's in the, you know, it's in the best interest of your clients to find somebody that will handle them in a manner that you see fit and that line up with your personality. So that would be another thing. Excellent. Um, well, we are uh, running short on time, but we have one more question that's coming. It's a really good one. Um, so I'm going to ask Keith and Jeff uh, to have a quick go at uh, answering this. The question is, um, after uh, an exhaustive due diligence process ahead of your transition to independence, what is something that surprised you once you were settled in the independent space? Keith, do you want to have a go at that quickly? Yeah, that's easy. How much I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> So, so you go through all this research and all this discovery, and then and then you make the decision. And at least for us in going with Kestra, they took care of an awful lot of things, right? They, they provide office space. They provide technology. They provide compliance. And yet there was still a bunch of stuff I didn't know about all these other areas. And, and I can't imagine if you went 
directly to a, a true RIA on your own, how much time and money you would waste for things you you just didn't even know existed. So it's it's in the warehouse. It's a very sheltered world. And there's all kinds of things going on behind the scenes that don't involve you. And once you go independent or even in, in the, the Kester world, there's a whole lot more going on that, that you get to make decisions about. And it's a lot, it's a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. And Jeff? Yeah, for, for me, uh, I'd use the word ownership. Um, clients took ownership in, in our move uh, to independence. Uh, not that they didn't appreciate uh, the relationship at the wirehouse, but they really, uh, this, uh, we cemented so many relationships with the transition. Clients were had a vested interest in our firm's success, and truly um, were, were were happy for us that we that we cut ties uh, with you know the eight hundred pound gorilla you know wirehouse firm and and took the leap of faith that we um, that we went independent. So clients clients truly were were um, were happy for us. And, and thrilled that we, we made that decision and, and took ownership in our overall success. That's about all we've got time for. Thank you very much to everyone for, for watching and sending in your questions. They're really good. Um, my thanks as well to Scott and Keith and Jeff for their insights. I hope they've been uh, very useful to you.